This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We are talking Michigan versus Rutgers. The Wolverines move to 4-0 on the season. What a known Big Ten play with a 31-7 win over the Scarlet Knights. Steve, what have I been telling you? All season on these podcasts, the pl- classic Jim Harbaugh blowout win is 30-something to less than 10. This is actually the fourth game this season out of four opportunities where that has been the definition of the score. So we'll talk about some of our takeaways from the game and also from the weekend in college football in general. And Steve, I, I don't know about you, my my first biggest takeaway, the one I led my takeaways piece off with, over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com, is is this looked very vintage 2022. You know, the, the, the first couple games this season, thinking about the Bowling Green game, you know, there were there were definitely glimpses, but the first two games were very pass-heavy. And then the, the third game was a little bit more run game, but still not exactly how Michigan typically likes to, to play a lot. We're up 14-6 at halftime, but then they had like a bunch of turnovers. This game felt much more up Michigan's wheelhouse. Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline certainly helps that narrative. But Michigan just dominated time of possession. I mean, they started the second half with an eight-minute drive that resulted in a field goal. They In the final 45 minutes of the game, they had the ball for, what, 31, 32 minutes? So the first quarter, yeah, there was there was that that a couple speed bumps. Rutgers had a couple sustained drives. They had the 69 yard touchdown pass on the first drive to that kind of quieted the crowd. But but really, you look at the final three quarters. Michigan dominated the run game, dominated in run defense, and just controlled controlled the clock. Continued to move the chains. I think all but. The first two drives for Michigan went at least five minutes in time of possession. I think they only had seven drives, which is something that that's a little bit of Rutgers too. Rutgers likes to play that Michigan style, especially this season. They're, they're much more run heavy than they've been in the past. They were top 20 in run defense, rushing offense, and time of possession entering this game. And so this was a little bit of a of an interesting test for Michigan because they were going to go up against a team that wanted to be physical, wanted to be the quote-unquote bully, wanted to play that smash-mouth football. And it was interesting. I asked a few of the players after the game, you know, do you take extra pride in beating a team that prides itself in that physicality in such a physical way? And apparently it's a big point of emphasis from the coaches. You know, Jesse Minter and some of the other coaches were – we're telling the players all week, you know, Rutgers wants to come in and be the Big Ten bully. 
And then Michigan, as, as Blake Corum said, quote, we bully bullies. Uh, and Michigan did. Michigan did. They, they, they reminded everybody who the, the league's resident bully is. The you know, big smash mouth victory. It's probably going to be, I think Rutgers' name still doesn't really resonate with, with Michigan fans or Big Ten fans. But I think Rutgers, after watching a lot of the, the rest of the Big Ten yesterday and, and this whole weekend, I suppose, you know, I think this is a real deal successful victory for Michigan. It's probably going to be one of their tougher opponents of the regular season. I think Rutgers will be bowl eligible this year. I think that they could win six, seven. I don't know about eight. I'd have to watch them a little bit more. But, you know, so, so you know, I say they, they were really successful in the run game. Yeah, they only ran for 201 yards on, what, 5.0 yards per carry. Maybe that's not the numbers that Michigan fans are used to after last season. But if Rutgers is really a top 20 run defense, that's a very successful showing. Right. And same with the with the other side of the ball. Rutgers rushing offense. I mean, they were running. They ran for 256 yards against Virginia Tech. And I know Virginia Tech is not nearly on Michigan's level. But at the same time, Michigan allowed Rutgers to run for 30 yards in the final three quarters and 77 yards total. I mean, it was to me, I think the defense is continuing to make a pretty loud statement that it that it very well could be the best defense in the country this year i'm georgia will have a say in that penn state i'm sure will will have a say i mean there's other teams but michigan so far about as good as you could ask for on the defensive side of the ball so to me it, it just looked very 2022 controlling the clock pulling away in the second half kind of kind of slow burning a quality opponent into what turned out to be a pretty lopsided score even if it didn't feel even if there weren't those like 60 yard plays that that make it feel like a blowout, you know, Rutgers just really never had a chance after the first quarter. So to me, yeah, it looked like a very 2022 Jim Harbaugh style Michigan blowout. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Yeah, just that Michigan just sort of just does this to teams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, vintage win <clears throat> for them. Again, Rutgers got some pieces you know i think we talked about before we got on recording i I think Rutgers might end up being the fourth third or fourth best team that michigan plays yeah which right is not a very strong indictment of the big 10 but it does yeah it's 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 like it's sort of a backhanded compliment i think to Rutgers, but uh or to yeah but yeah i mean just michigan doing their thing obviously i think again we're sort of we're seeing them start to mix a few more things in, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, JJ McCarthy had it, had that outside keep all day, you know, and, and again, that's why teams are still selling out to stop Michigan in between the tackles, but they're not going to be able to as much as the season wears on. If, if that outside is going to be there all day for the quarterback. Right. I mean, granted, Michigan doesn't want a game plan where they're running McCarthy into the ground, obviously, but it's still a big, potential asset for them running the football. So yeah, I mean, Michigan, like I said, just still kind of instilling their will. It's, it's really almost like watching a, like a snake slowly kind of suffocate. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, they slowly kind of wrap around you and just kind of take over. I mean, you know, Rutgers first, they, they scored a touchdown on, in the first minute of the game on a, on a play where a, Michigan starter who hadn't played all season missed a 
missed a tackle, you know, basically a bust. And after that, it was all Michigan, it felt like. You know, another one of those games where, like, I you know, there might be people complaining about the score. But, again, Michigan went pretty much into shell mode and decided they wanted to run the football down their throat for the last 10 minutes of the game. And they were able to do it successfully. So they literally yeah. closed the game on a 657 drive that didn't net yeah. any points. And they, they were able to kneal it out. Yeah, Seven I was gonna say minute it was a, drive to close yeah. the game. It was I the mean, weirdest that's... like end game ending where it was just like a two yard rush, you know, like, and that was it. And they just kind of like get up and like, all right, well, it's over. Yeah. Overall about what you'd expect, right? The, the run defense totally suffocating as well. I don't know if Greg Schiano met. I don't know why they went away from Manangai late in the, did he get hurt? I, I thought it was kind of weird uh, considering how well he's played for them that they kind of went away from him late in the second half of the game. But either way, again, they mentioned that Michigan's run defense would be too good. And I just w- didn't think that Rutgers would do enough throwing the ball, even though, I mean, to their credit, they threw the ball a lot better than what I think we even thought they would. I mean, both Wimsat and the receivers made a few pretty solid plays throughout the game, right? So uh, if you're Rutgers, I feel like there might be something to build off of in that regard. But even then, I mean, Michigan's defense just overpowered. You know, I, I even watching some other games across college football yesterday, it's like I just, you know, it, Michigan's going to be so hard to run the football effectively against. So you're going to have to go – you're going to have to take it to the outside if you want any shot, even then you have guys like Jalen Harrell and junior Colson and stuff. But uh, yeah. So I say any ho-hum sort of win over a conference opponent by more than three touchdowns, whether you're at home or away should be considered a major success. So yeah, that, I mean, that's the way I look at this one for Michigan. Yeah. I think it was more or less kind of what we thought. I think you predicted 39, 13. I predicted uh 27 to 10. So I, and I think I upgraded it to 30 to 10 in my written story. But yeah, it's it's uh some people can call it ho hum. I, I think it's just a a sign of Michigan doing exactly what it wanted to do. Michigan does not feel the need, especially in a game like that. Different story if you're facing a different opponent, but in a game like this, I don't think Michigan felt the need to put up fifty and play a bunch of snaps and you know, do these quick drives and go tempo and things like that. It's it's certainly a skill. Michigan probably would benefit from having practiced a little bit, but at the same time, you know, Rutgers defense, very, they can make you pay if you make mistakes. So I think there was a little bit of a, let's just instill our will. And if they stop us, we'll adjust. Otherwise we'll just keep doing that. Yeah. I, I came away pretty impressed with the, the line of scrimmage play. You know, I guess one offensive takeaway we haven't mentioned a ton yet is I I felt like this was a very good example of Michigan's adaptability on offense. You you take what the defense gives you, and I'm speaking specifically to the passing game because I mentioned before the game, Rutgers has two fantastic cornerbacks. They force turnovers. They get their hands on passes. They don't allow a lot of completions. And so one of my keys and my my four keys in a pick story was spread the ball around, get the tight ends, get the running backs, get the slot receivers involved in the passing game. And, and Steve, that's exactly what they did. I mean, Colson Loveland, 75 receiving yards, led the team. 
AJ Barner had a, had four targets and I think three receptions. I mean, they combined for 10 of Michigan's 21 targets in the passing game. And then Donovan Edwards had a couple early kind of helped set the tone. You know, Samaj Morgan got his touchdown. They went to him in the red zone. And then even, even if it was an outside receiver, I love that play where they had Roman Wilson go in motion and then, you know, cut across just past the linebackers. That's a great route to run against Rutgers because it, it shakes your best receiver free from the Rutgers cornerback coverage. You know, instead of having him covered up against the sideline, you, you've got him running over the middle of the field, force someone in Rutgers defense to change their assignment, take account for him. So I thought Michigan's passing game, you know, it's, I know it's not a astounding number, 15 completions, 21 attempts. 214 yards and one touchdown. I mean, that's that seems like a pedestrian day, especially compared to a lot of other offenses in college football these days. But I felt like they did exactly what Rutgers defense didn't want them to do. Right. I felt like they're they they took what the defense gave them. And I felt like there were some pretty crafty play calls. I like that delayed route that Colston Loveland ran on what was it, a 35 yard gain where he got right down to the one. Or the reverse flea flicker and then then Loveland's route itself was also really well crafted where he was, you know, delayed route, got open down the sidelines, almost scored. I mean, he made it to the one yard line. And then the Donovan Edwards was at third down where they they put him in motion to to the slot on the left side. But then they have him motion again over to the right. And and Rutgers just kind of forgot about him. I think they were so focused on Blake Corum because it was third and two. And so all of a sudden, next thing you know, Edwards is open in the flats. And and when he's open in the flats, he's going to pick up a lot of yards. He's not going to drop that pass. He's not going to misread the field. I mean, he's going to put up some big yards in in that in the receiving game on that kind of play. So I I came away. I know the numbers aren't jaw dropping, but I actually came away pretty impressed with the opportunistic passing game that Michigan had and, and understanding where the soft spots in Rutgers defense were. Steve, what were some of the ruminating thoughts you have about the offense in this game? I think you pretty much <clears throat> covered them. That, Like I said, I think where Michigan is so difficult to defend as they do, they have such a wide variety of ways that they can attack. And they've been able to successfully do that so far this year without for the most part, really opening up the playbook all the way. And this is, this is a, there's a lot now that is starting to feel like last year where it's like we're seeing them do a little bit more every week. You know, sort of we get a little bit more of a look behind the curtain every week, but not so much to where teams are going to have a ton to scout on with them. So, yeah, I thought J.J. McCarthy played well yesterday. I think he, what, maybe made one questionable throw at, at some point even then. I mean – Played better as the game went on, I felt like, too. Colson Loveland, you know, yeah. Again, in college football, like, having elite tight end play, it can just do so many things for your offense. We even kind of saw it uh, in the, the Notre Dame-Ohio State game last night. I think one of Notre Dame's tight ends had a career game. Really helps sort of open up a lot for the offense. But Loveland's a guy, I think, it, it, I mean, his his potential role is more than that. I mean, he could be way more than just a guy that opens everything else up. He can be the guy at points for Michigan. So makes sense for them to get him going. 
you get Donovan Edwards, a couple of easy catches, he gets what 40 yards receiving. So, you know, yeah, just biggest thought is always about how just they, they instill their will and that they do, they just kind of gradually, uh, you can kind of, from, from a big picture standpoint, you just almost kind of can watch this offense develop throughout the year. And right. And we know there's a lot more that they have waiting and, uh, that's another reason why I feel like they just are are going to continue to try to pound the ball in between the tackles, even if they're outmanned or even if it's like they don't have necessarily a, a strategic advantage, let's say, uh, because I just, you know, there are so many little wrinkles I feel like we haven't seen yet that I just think they want to keep pounding the football, you know, and even then we're starting to see them have a little bit more success doing that. So, yeah, again, just methodical but like effectively methodical you know not methodical necessarily for the sake of being methodical yeah I think Michigan is still yeah they're just being smart I guess and like the one underlying factor that I'm curious about is like and we kind of saw this with like Iowa last year right Michigan got a methodical so to speak, win over Iowa. And turns out Iowa's defense was every bit as advertised and was shutting a lot of teams down. And so, you know, the what what the 160 some rushing yards that Michigan had against Iowa turned out to be like a lot <laughs> compared to what the Hawkeyes gave up to everyone else. So that is something I, you know, Rutgers is probably one of those teams, especially because Michigan's the first nine games of Michigan's schedule is so soft. Rutgers is probably one of those teams. Like I, I am curious to see how they look against other teams because if it turns out that's the a top fifteen defense this season, well then these numbers look a lot more impressive. And and even if not, you know Michigan, I kind of look at success rate. You know what percentage of their drives were they not getting first downs? Were they not scoring touchdowns? And they only had seven drives, so that means that they averaged what, four and a half points per drive? You'll take that. In a typical game, you probably have 10-ish drives, 10 to 12 drives. So you can do some math there. I mean, yeah, this is this was just a slower pace game, and Michigan kind of controlled that narrative a little bit with its long, sustained drives, but, but it's also on Rutgers to get them off the field. So, yeah, I think offensively, you know, there's, some, there's a couple things you probably, if you're Michigan, you can, you can work on. There weren't a ton of pass protection. Statistically, there weren't a ton of pressures allowed, but at the same time, the pressures that were allowed, that can't happen. Not not on this team with how important J.J. McCarthy is to this team's success. You know, gotta can't have pass protection whiffs, can't be blocking the wrong guy. And then I think in the run game, I think a lot of people are are kind of waiting to see, you know, Donovan Edwards each week. Uh, you know, does he get his breakout game? Does he get some of the the confidence back? Does he get, as we've talked about, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more into a rhythm? And if not, how do you how do you make sure that he's still being productive for you? And and I think Saturday, the receiving game, I, I think he was very productive. And if they wanted to keep throwing to him, I feel like they could have. I think that they almost were like, now nah, we're saving that for later in the year. But in the ground game, six carries for 13 yards and one of those carries was for eight yards so that is that is something you know I'm sure he's coming into this week of practice kind of trying to see okay what what do I need to change 
to take what is believed to be pretty productive practices, right? The coaches are still speaking very highly of him. I think, Steve, you mentioned on the broadcast, Jake Butt heard from Sharon Moore that he was a player to watch in the, in yesterday's game. So clearly there's confidence in what he can do. It's just making sure that that is what he does do in game. So there's, there's a couple little things here and there, but, but ultimately can't say Michigan floundered on offense just because they only scored 31 points. Cause they only had seven drives and I know they had a pick six, but still, I mean, this was, this was an offense that, outside the opening drive went across the field every single time. So yeah, I, I whatever word you want to use methodical is probably the, the most common one. I mean, Michigan, Michigan's offense, I felt like did its job and, and first time rushing for more than 200 yards this year. This was kind of the first time we were really wanting to see what the run game would look like just because Rutgers defense comes in pretty touted. But I felt like Blake Corum did well. As you mentioned, J.J. McCarthy finding those openings. Talk about opportunistic. I mean, yeah, those were those were wide open. I mean, they were so wide open, he had time to basically like trot out of bounds without even coming close to getting hit. So, yeah, I think, I think Michigan's offense has to feel good about the production. And, and even if there are a couple throws or carries here or blocks, here and there that they want back. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll flip over to the defensive side of things where, boy, Michigan just continues to look like the top defense in the country. We'll talk about that as well as some of the other observations from games that we saw this weekend. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Steve, Rutgers got a 69-yard touchdown completion on the first, on the third play of the game, first drive of the game. And then that second drive, I felt like they did a nice job with their, with their run game, just kind of faking Michigan's defense out, getting, getting Michigan a little off balance. And then after that, Michigan made those classic, those 2022-style defensive adjustments and just completely locked – Rutgers down. I know there were some pass plays here and there, a couple curls or or out routes or whatever that allowed Rutgers to get some first downs, but what a performance by the defense. And and what what impresses me is that it wasn't the pick 6 was one, but it's not Michigan didn't have a sack. They actually had a season low 3 tackles for loss. It's not like they were really in Rutgers face all the time. They just didn't miss a lot of tackles and and they were ready 
for everything Rutgers was throwing at them. And then I think the most important thing they did was, yeah, they shut Rutgers' run game down. I, I don't know if Manangai was injured or whatever, but, but at the same time, they, they completely went away from the ground game. That is That played into Michigan's hands. I mean, Michigan, Michigan was happy to, to let Rutgers try to beat them with, with the pass game. What was your biggest takeaway from the defensive side of things in this game? Yeah, I mean, I, defensively, the game played out about the way I thought it would. Maybe, maybe the one slight surprise in it, I mean, maybe it's what caught Michigan off guard, did not necessarily expect Rutgers to pass early to set up the run, and it paid off for them, you know, with that 69-yard touchdown. I think I joked on Twitter, you know, Rutgers was Rutgers the best team in college football for like six minutes there. You know, they had the, the three and out to begin defensively. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. They did get the ball first, didn't they? So they score in the first minute. Michigan goes three and out, and they get a stop, and then they kick a 75-yard punt. Uh, it's like they're literally playing about as well as they possibly could have. So, But either way, like, yeah, it's, a, it's what I expected. Again, teams aren't going to be able to run the ball. I'm not going to speak with certainty. It's going to be very, very, very difficult for teams to run the ball effectively in between the, in between the tackles against Michigan's defensive front. Rutgers, no exception. Uh, I thought, like I said, I thought Wimsett actually played, like, I think he played better than what I thought he would play. So I'll give him that. You know, and Rutgers, it's a situation where, like, you know, they had the long, the the bust for the touchdown. And then I think they had their two other longest catches were both, like, circus level. And I mean that in a good way for their receivers made amazing plays to catch the ball. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Michigan's defense just continues to, they are the ones that are dictating what the opposing offenses are having to do, right? I mean, we know Rutgers has run the ball really well to begin the season. You talk about Manangai, uh, Wimsat even keeping the ball, and Michigan was able to completely negate that part of their game, put them in a position where Rutgers was going to have to play basically perfect football to even compete in the game, not just not win necessarily, but just to stay in it. And they weren't able to. So yeah, another impressive performance from the Michigan defense, which again, the other thing is, is like they still have not been at full strength for any game so far this season. And uh, they're still just, you know, really going after guys. The other, I'd say one, one player. I mean, there were a few players as always who really stood out, but one guy who really looks like they're turning into a legitimate contributor for them and it's not really a spot they need another guy but cam good is playing really well for michigan right now uh and the front defensive front i mean he he looks like an asset at this point for them you know and and you talk about a guy they got last year in the transfer portal who at the time looked like at most a depth piece uh i think he's he is a depth piece but i think he's been even more than what we thought he would be so want to give shout out props to, to cam good for you know making a few nice plays yesterday and, and looking like a guy in michigan feels like they can count on throughout a four-quarter game he he has stepped up and but that whole michigan defensive front again i know some people look at sacks and tackles for loss but Rutgers yesterday according to pro football focus averaged 1.2 yards before contact per carry I mean, that is so low. Usually, I mean, I granted, it, it's not going to sound like it's super low because like in typical offensive line, it's probably two and a half yards. But the fact that on average, Michigan was making first contact in the run game 
with the one point two yards ahead of line ahead of the line of scrimmage in the whole game. Michigan only missed four tackles. Yeah, I know. I know that was kind of a factor that I had in mind. It was. I think it was one of my keys of the game was bring Manungai or, or Wimsett down the first time because they both were pretty good this season at forcing missed tackles, whether it's elusiveness, like juking a guy out of, out of their shoes, or just breaking through an arm tackle. I thought Michigan did a really nice job tackling yesterday, especially that defensive front. I thought really had an impressive day. You, you mentioned Cam Good. And then I feel like one player, he's certainly been mentioned a ton, but boy, what an all-around effort. For Mike Sainer still, if we're shouting out individual players, I mean, he actually he actually led the team with three quarterback pressures, right? He had the pick six. He had a couple tackles. Uh, he he did, t- and he admitted after the game, you know, it was his man that ended up scoring that 69-yard touchdown. But but he, he redeemed it because he had a, what, 71-yard touchdown return. So it, it evens out, but just continuing to, to really – impress and and what a what a phenomenal story his career i mean it's starting to get to that ronnie bell territory i know he was rated a little higher as a recruit but to switch positions two-time captain very clear glue guy i mean the way the team was was surrounding him and celebrating him after that pick six uh that was that was pretty cool to see and and ultimately he's just a really excellent player for them at a position that can really make or break the defense. You know, if you have a, a elite pass rusher, elite tackler and a guy who can do well in coverage in that nickel spot. I mean, that, that really elevated Michigan's defense in 2021 with Dax Hill. It helped Michigan get back to the playoffs in 2022 with Mike Sainer still. And it almost seems like he, he's just continued to get better. So yeah, I came away. I mean, he was probably, MVP of the defense. I, I don't think that's exactly a, a novel take or a hot take or anything, but but yeah, he he really, really impressed. Anything else jump out to you about Michigan's defense in this game? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, on Saner still, I, I'd argue I wrote this after the game. I think he's the heart of the team, not just the defense, right? I think he is sort of the become that heart and soul guy for them. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I th- yeah, I think even the rallying around him after the touchdown, like kind of sort of speaks to that a little bit. So otherwise, no, not really. I mean, again, another, I think next week, interesting situation. We don't know what's going like. It looks like Nebraska has switched quarterbacks. I mean, they just don't feel like a, a team that, you know, again, another big 10 team that really just did not look great yesterday. They won, but just not looking great. So Feels like another opportunity for Michigan's defense to I don't like I don't want to overconfident on it, but like to pad their national stats a little bit and go on the road and do it. I just yeah. And again, you know, no Mason Graham yesterday. Graham probably an all conference level player. Rod Moore played sparingly. Will Johnson's back. So I mean that's obviously big for Michigan. But another guy I thought played pretty well yesterday too, uh, was Josh Wallace. That was a bad call. On the pass interference play, they were definitely targeting him a good amount, right? Too. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's we we expect that, right? That's why that getting that cornerback room fleshed out and getting you know having somebody emerge alongside Will Johnson and and you know yeah they're going to use Saner still in so many different ways when they can, 
So, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought Josh Wallace had a pretty good game for the most part yesterday. Like I said, did not agree with that pass interference call and, uh, you know, looked like a guy that another guy who another transfer from a smaller school who's, who's, I think is just getting more comfortable playing at the big time level. And as a guy, it feels like Michigan believes they can count on him more and more. Yeah. We mentioned before the season, I think he even mentioned during the season was not worried about how Josh Wallace would look against group of five competition. It was the, it was the power five competition that he hasn't faced a ton of yet. Cause his stats at UMass were great, highly productive, you know, in terms of forcing incompletions in terms of making tackles. So yet seeing him next, next few weeks will be a, a good gauge for what he can be for Michigan in November. Because I got to say, I did the, the tweet last night. Michigan's next five games do not look like they will be even as tough as Saturday's game was. Nebraska two and two. They beat Louisiana Tech at home 28 to 14. Minnesota two and two. They lost to Northwestern in overtime. They had a nice lead. So take that for what you will. But, but they surrendered the lead as well. I think AJ Henning scored the touchdown with two seconds to go to tie it. Indiana, what two and two? They had a nice goal line quadruple overtime stand against Akron. Michigan State, two and two. Got smoked by Maryland, 31-9. And then Purdue is the fifth game in this lineage. They're one and three. They lost by 21 points to Wisconsin. So it's for Michigan fans, have fun, enjoy it. But at the same time, from a media perspective, this has got to be one of the, the easiest paths to 9-0 yeah. you'll, you'll ever see in a, in a Big Ten. You probably won't ever see it again in the Big Ten, right? If, if you're adding four typically quality opponents or typically quality teams from the West Coast, you know, there's talk of expanding the conference play to 10 games or, or even if not with the 12-team playoff, there's probably going to be more Power 5 versus Power 5 matchups in non-conference play it's very fascinating uh just how how this all fell apart because because some of it right michigan did not play a power conference opponent in in non-conference play that's one side of it but also like the big 10 what is going on with some of these teams like it almost feels like the bad teams are worse now than they used to be i don't know maybe that's not true but it feels like with the transfer portal with you know obviously nil allowing teams to kind of pluck top players from these these more six and six seven and six teams it feels like a lot more teams are bottom out bad right than they used to be so it, yeah that, the ahead. gap but the gap between i guess is the, at least early on in the big 10 it really you know usually there's like you have your top you know your top tier which is almost always like uh michigan ohio state penn state and then there's usually like a, a decent like middle yeah. tier. I think the the only two teams right now to me that look like middle tier are Rutgers and Maryland. Right? Well, Wisconsin probably. Oh yeah, sorry. Sorry, I always forget about Wisconsin. So but, part of part of Michigan is just they're not playing Wisconsin. I true. Iowa didn't look good last night, but they're not playing Iowa, who's typically in that second tier that you mentioned. Right. But the but the, like to be like Iowa doesn't look like a middle tier. No team right now. Right. Not, not so far. And, uh, you know, again, you know, Michigan state obviously doesn't the, the, the Michigan. Yeah. Their next five games are probably against five of the six worst teams in the conference period yeah. right now. Along okay. the only team they're not playing is Northwestern. 
you know, because yeah, Minnesota seems like a pretty big disappointment so far. Yeah, what a, it's it is though. It does feel like there's a larger and larger gap developing as the season progresses here. Which you know, hey, if you're Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, you know, I guess you're not complaining necessarily. It just and because those get the that round robin was already going to have a ton of pressure on it and probably is going to decide the conference. You know, so I guess you're, you're yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like either team is going to any of these three teams are going to lose outside of it, those. It's it right. Like you think about it now, there will be what could be one or two combined losses at most when Michigan and Ohio State meet. In November, right? I mean, Maryland, Michigan, it even gets Maryland at home. But you have Ohio State, Penn State and then Michigan, Penn State. It, it just comes down to that round robin, you know, maybe Ohio, maybe Michigan beats Penn State, Ohio State loses to Penn State. Either it was like, but it, it just the the outlook of the Big Ten or just the, the landscape, it's like, yeah, it's hard to imagine any of those three teams right now losing to anybody else on their schedule. Again, maybe Wisconsin, but even then, I mean, Wisconsin at different points has not looked particularly great, although that loss against Washington State doesn't look as bad as right. it did when it first took place, you know, I mean, that, credit to Washington state, but I guess they are kind of the one team. And of course, Michigan doesn't, doesn't play them, but either way, I just, well, not yet. No, no. Right. So interesting. It's a big 10 championship game. Right. It's going to turn. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it was probably going to turn out this way, no matter, no matter what just about, or, or it was like the, the, the probability of it is super high, but like we remember how difficult of a time we kind of had talking about it, finding a trap game. Yeah. Like now it's 1000% Maryland just because Maryland's the only like competent looking team almost that, that Michigan has left in their schedule, not named Penn state or Ohio state. I mean, rivalry aside, I mean, you go with like Michigan state is always Michigan state. You know, they, you, they'll probably play Michigan tough. It'll probably play one of their better games of the year for sure. But either, I mean, they don't look like, a team that's capable of competing with Michigan right now. I just, um, you know, it's like, so Michigan's lat there. You talk about a backloaded schedule. I mean, there are only three major challenges from now until Penn state or Penn state. And then the two games after, you know, it would take, it'd be a monumental collapse for them to lose any of the, yeah. Like you said, they should be nine and oh, it'd take a monumental collapse for them to lose any of their next five games. Their next five opponents combined record this season is nine and 11. And that's not even getting really that deep into Big Ten play yet. That's with the tune-up games. And then their final three opponents are combined 12-0 and 0 right now. So, yeah, it's it's just funny how, I mean, I would almost say the biggest key to Michigan's season is how healthy are they by the second week of November. There's obviously more nuance, more factors at play than that. But, like, that's really what the season is building toward. Speaking of that, we got to talk about Ohio State and Ryan Day. You know, Ohio State, for those that didn't know, last second win at Notre Dame. You know, on paper, very impressive. I mean, we'll see how both teams look the rest of the season. But, you know, you score a, a win over a top 10 team in a night game road atmosphere in the last second of the game. Come from behind victory. You know, I think they had, what, a minute and a half in that final drive. They pulled it off. They go and interview Ryan Day after the game. And one of the first things he says, where's Lou Holtz at? I know you 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 want to talk about this. I mean, what in the world is going on in his head 
the first thing he does is is go what is it? Lou Holtz is what eighty six, and also Ryan Day's the head football coach at Ohio State. Why is he concerned about what a talking head is saying before this matchup? I, it was just so bizarre and so strange and and frankly not really something Ryan Day typically does. Like I kind of joked before the show, it almost kind of reminds me of like when a politician is told to like reference sports in a speech it's like clearly not their style or not what they want to talk about but but you know they they someone in their party decided hey you gotta you gotta meet the fans in the middle with this one the fans are fired up about what Lou Holtz had to say so you got to be fired up about it like it just seemed so out of place and weird and and as you mentioned you know who's in in Ohio State's head now based on that press conference yeah Michigan is it was and the other thing, too, is like, yeah, to go after Lou Holtz, like Lou Holtz is trying to explain how he thinks Notre Dame can win the game. And to, I mean, to be honest, that that was the way that kind of was the way Notre Dame was winning the game up until that point. Right. I mean, Notre Dame figured out, hey, we can run the ball in between the tackles here, you know, and they're throwing four or five different running backs at Ohio State and having success. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Like I, I think I like I said on Twitter last night is like I didn't realize Michigan was actually in Ohio State's head until 30 seconds after that game ended and that those comments. Um, and I think he even said later in the in his actual presser that they you know we had one bad half one two one bad ago. half up in Ann Arbor and it's like what about last year's second half man you got outscored <laughs> last year's second half three. was worse yeah I I agree just man again and and does this I don't know if this stuff ever means. That but but man, I mean, it does. Yeah, it felt like he's trying to convince himself, the fan, their fan base, and even their players that that they're tough. They're a tough program. It was a gutsy win for them. Don't get me. I mean that that was kind was of the ironic. Say, like that was like kind of the that, ironic thing. It's not it was like, like Ohio State's some chump program, yeah, but not it just at all. So especially like Ryan Day is not a. I've always felt like he didn't really succumb to the stupidity that is often seen in college football like Nick the the narratives or the the weird press conference things I mean you I could name a couple coaches I won't but I could name a couple coaches that kind of do this stuff all the time yes in their press conferences he never really did that he always kind of came off like pretty sensible almost NFL style like just very uh tactical and and smart honestly and so yeah for him to do this that's where I like I'm my conspiracy is that someone in Ohio State's administration was like you gotta you gotta reference this Lou Holtz thing if you win like you gotta mention it but even even then just such a weird thing for even if even if that's the way it did go down like just such a weird thing but yeah to Ohio State's credit got I mean definitely one of the probably two or three at worst most passionate fan bases in the country right I mean so if there was a big reaction about it, I guess I, I guess I could kind of see it. I just don't. I I'd, I'd be curious to know how many Buckeye fans he really rallied <laughs> with with those comments. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, like, like 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 you know. And it was I guess such I, an easy win for not easy. The win, the victory wasn't easy, but that post game press conference, all of Ohio State, which Ohio State they've done the studies has the biggest fan base in the country right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And they, they travel better. Up. They travel better than anybody else does for sure. Yeah. Fired up about the last second win over top 10 team on the road. I mean, how cool is that? He could have said, like, 
I mean, he, he, you know, he could have done the Jim Harbaugh. You know, it's just really about the players and then pass it off. And, and everyone would have been like, yeah, let's go. Yep, yep. Instead, he goes after Lou Holtz. And, and this is no disrespect to Lou Holtz, but like I'm in college football media. I can't think of I can't remember anything he said in the last five years that like yeah. really made national headlines or was super prominent. Like what a what a it's almost like a deep cut. Yeah. For like, oh yeah, you're going after a former coach who, who has a, a, a opinion. I don't know. Just so I remember more I remember more people impersonating Lou Holtz in the last five years than I remember anything that Lou Holtz has actually said or done, you know. I mean, but yeah, I just a definitely a clear indicator that at least psychologically Michigan has the advantage in the rivalry right now. I mean, I don't know how you could I don't know how you could spin it any other way. It could just because of how out of left field that entire deal was. And why do you like you don't need to tell the world that your team is tough. You know, I was just that was just the other thing where it's like that, and if that you do com- you can you can have more of a confidence with it a different like yes, it was almost yes. like he was like def- like dude you just beat notre dame on the road no one is like questioning if you like especially well, the way they won are, it but yeah right? it's like you know no i mean they said that was the that was the la- latest or like the to to score the clock i think they said it was like since 2008 when the michael crabtree against texas mm. that was like the latest touchdown score to win a game or something on the, i don't like some outrageous stat I think because I think there was even time on the clock for the bush push but yeah I just <laughs> it did it yeah like if he had gone into that post-game press conference and been like you know there were some people questioning our toughness I think we showed that we're tough tonight like that would have gotten six million Ohio State fans fired yeah. up yeah and that would have that would have been a message I mean I don't know if Michigan fans are going to say what they're going to say but but to the rest of the country like okay you know they're they're locked in. They're ready to go this season. Instead, he like, yeah, no. weirdly started chirping. And, and <laughs> did he look, de- I, did it de- did it de- like from a national standpoint? Because yes, like Michigan fans are obviously going to say what they're going to say. But like, I wonder. I'm interested to see from a national perspective. Not not does it diminish the win, but like, I wonder if other pundits or whatever would would feel the same way like we do because like I just felt like it was it's it's easy to take that away coming out of that was kind of like okay did they like did he did did the team surprise did they surprise Ryan Day the way they won the game you know like that's that's a good point well it it just you know almost like a very very heavy like self-reassurance uh in those comments and and the fact that he reiterated it sort of again in his actual right sit-down after pressure, the adrenaline had worn off, yeah, like yeah. I because so, I'll even I'll even grant that after a tough, hard fought, you know that was a hell of a football game by the way. Like just call it as it is. That was a great game, uh, hard nosed defense for the most part on both sides. It was just it was it was a good game, you know. So in the in the moment, maybe even though even then it was still obviously kind of weird. But to reiterate it again in the presser afterwards, I was just kind of like, man, like, just, you know, like, I don't know, just, just bizarre. Like, he's like, no other word to describe it. Well, and I think the national reaction that I've seen is very much like, look, you're Ohio State. Just be Ohio State. Like, you don't have to, like, come in and, and chirp like that. Not even like that it was like uh, that he was out of line or, or whatever. But like, when Alabama, 
beat Ole Miss 24-10. I actually didn't see that that if there was a post-game press conference there. But it's not like Nick Saban's like a lot of people thought, you know, this pundit at ESPN thought that Ole Miss was going to destroy us. And, and we showed that. Like, like, no, you're Ohio State. You have more 12-win seasons since 2000 than, like, 95 Maybe anyone, yeah. Teams yeah. Combined. Like, it's just, like, just be Ohio State, man. Like, just, like, act like you were supposed to beat Notre Dame on the road because that's what historically, I mean, yeah, I know they don't play Notre Dame every year, but that's historically what they've done. Their road rec- record since 2001 or, or whatever year is, is incredible. Their record against top 10 teams is also, it, Ryan Day is 49 and six. I, I know, I know people were, I know the off season was kind of long with the Ohio state loss and then the Georgia loss, but, but at the same time, man, like just, it, it was, it was kind of, interesting and and you're right michigan fans are gonna have a field day with this but they're gonna have a field day with anything ohio state does that's remotely subjecting them to being made fun of but yeah nationally i think a lot of people like people more people are talking about the ryan day post-game comments than i think ohio state's like last second win i might be wrong on that maybe i maybe i'm looking at the wrong national publications but yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't take away the win I don't think the players are any less thrilled with how they look. I don't think Ohio State's playoff chances are different because of that press conference. But it it does kind of take away from what should be a universally impressive moment for for Ohio State and kind of turns it into like, oh, that was that was strange. All right, real quick before we close out this podcast, Ohio State beat Notre Dame on the road, 17-14. As you mentioned, hard-nosed win. Penn State shut out Iowa 31 nothing. I know a major story of that game was boy, Iowa's offense really has not gotten better and and maybe it's gotten worse since last season with even with all the pressure on on Brian Ferentz, even with all the transfers. But from what you've seen so far, which opponent I I think I think you and I probably agree at at Penn State makes the Penn State game tougher, but but your thoughts on the two and how the, they compare to each other because as we mentioned, this might turn into a three-game season for Michigan. So what do you think of those two of the three games after what we saw yesterday and so far this this season? Yeah, I mean, with Penn State, I think we picked, I think both of us before the season said that it'll be Michigan's toughest game. I think that, I still think that remains right now. Penn State, honestly, a lot like Michigan, has just kind of done what they what you expect a top 10 team to do. I, I think Iowa kind of stinks. But Penn State, I mean, dominated, though. So, yes, they stink, but pretty impressive performance from Penn State. I think I even saw our old friend Sean Fitz covers Penn State say it was one of the most thorough ass kickings he's seen from Penn State, you know, since he's covered the team. So I think that that speaks a lot, Uh, you know. So, yeah, very similar to Michigan. You know, methodically offense, methodical offensively. Iowa is always usually good defensively, though. So, you know, for Penn State to kind of ease through, hard to say, you know, because, yeah, obviously Notre Dame way better than either team, any team that Michigan or Penn State has beaten thus far. You know, so Ohio State has the most impressive win of the bunch. I still have questions about Ohio State. I don't think good, good drive to get Ohio State down there. But I still wonder if Kyle McCord can make 
some of those big, the big, the actual big throws, you know, for, for as well as Michigan played against CJ Stroud, he would still make, he still made, you could argue some of his elite passing is what kept Ohio state in those last two games where Michigan won. I mean, you think of some of the throws to Smith and Jigba a couple of years ago, you think of, you know, he threaded the needle to Harrison at least two or three times last year. You know, I just wonder if McCord is capable of making those kind of throws in a big game credit to Ohio state. I mean, they schemed their receivers pretty open on that final drive. Notre Dame obviously playing a little soft, but, but still, so yeah. And then, like I said, you know, Notre Dame, it felt like once they realized they could pound the ball in the middle, it felt like they just ex- kind of went after that and exploited it. I guess I just, yeah, I guess I'm still thinking maybe Ohio State's still third. If I was doing like power rankings, you know, I think the bigger question right now is like, would you have Michigan or Penn State at number one? I, 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 only slightly lean towards Michigan, if only because Michigan has more experience at quarterback. And I think Michigan's offensive line is still a little bit better than Penn State's. If, you know, despite the fact that some people are still questioning Michigan's offensive line performance so far, uh, you know, I would slightly give Michigan the edge. But I do think the gap between one and three is is very, very small right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the big differentiator, at least from what I saw yesterday, and granted, Iowa very different opponent than Notre Dame, especially on the road. I mean, Iowa lost four fumbles yesterday. They had four fumbles lost and four first downs. But regardless, I I feel like Penn State's a little bit more well-rounded, just in the sense of they don't have yellow or orange flag weaknesses that, that I've seen. And we'll see. The two teams will face in October, right? October 21st, I believe. But I feel like Ohio State still has some areas that they're, even with the the impressive win, I think they still have a couple more areas that they would probably like to clean up, whereas Penn State, I feel like, is similar to Michigan, where at full tilt, we're still waiting to see like what that looks like against another top team. But they have less areas where they're like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here the rest of the way. You know, there's a little bit more areas that that you know, Penn State's at least somewhat confident in. All right, with that, that's going to do it for this podcast. Be sure to read lots of stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com about Michigan's win over Rutgers. And, of course, in a day or two, we'll pivot to previewing their first road test of the season at Nebraska. I know Nebraska always brings a great atmosphere, but I've also heard Steve, I don't know about you. I've heard it from a lot of Michigan fans. It sounds like there's going to be a pretty sizable Michigan t- contingent at this game. I think a lot of people are looking at this season and, and that Big Ten schedule that we mentioned and saying, hey, this might be an opportunity to, to travel to some of these road games, get some somewhat cheaper ticket prices than usual. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of that Ohio State over the last couple decades where they, they're able to travel to every road game as well as they are. So So we'll see what that crowd looks like, but... Mike Sainer still said it yesterday afternoon. He said he said that crowd in Lincoln was actually louder than Penn State. And I don't completely agree, but I do see where he's coming from. You know, they always sell it out. It's always a really passionate, impressive atmosphere. So we'll see what Michigan's got on the road. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. 
Showtime Plus Plus Showtime Plus 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 Pl